Coming up on This Week in Games, the UK's Children's Commissioner takes regulation aim at loot boxes, Tencent takes majority stake in Supercell, and Mixer pounces another Twitch top dog. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we had a big old mixed bag of news this week. Lots of activity all over the industry, all over the world, really. So let's kick it off. The UK's Children's Commissioner calls for a ban on all non-cosmetic IEPs. So the Children's Commissioner, which, I mean, (laughs) sounds insanely suspect, produced a 37-page document poorly titled, quote, gaming the system. I'm sure they're very proud of that title, which says, you know, everything we already know about loot boxes and IEPs and basically wants to ban them from children because what else is the Children's Commissioner doing? It was a pretty interesting read. I didn't read the whole thing, but pretty much any pay-to-win advancement of progress through purchase or any advantage through IEPs that could be had should be banned when dealing with children. Other items were that digital games need to be subjected to the same age rate and agency as their physical counterparts, meaning digital-only games versus games that could be boxed in like a box, you know, CD form, and that loot boxes need to be subject to the Gambling Commission, allowing them to be regulated, the mechanic to be regulated by the Gambling Commission. So, Pretty much uh, what we saw, kind of like that UK digital games investigation. Um, I think they had a 90-page document, but pretty much the same thing, you know, you see all over the world. Most of these items are nothing that other major countries aren't considering, especially when it comes to children. I think almost nobody wants anyone aged under 13 to be exposed to premium currency loot boxes. And then age 13 to 18 also needs some protection but it becomes harder to define what that protection is because, frankly, this age range plays the same games as adults. So it'd be really hard to put in a pay-to-win mechanic in Call of Duty and then basically say, oh, if you're under 18, you can't use this. And guess what? You're getting destroyed because of it. You know, I, I mean, let's be honest. People will just say they're over 18 and steal their parents' credit cards anyways. So also subjecting all digital game releases to rating agencies seems pretty much unfeasible at this point because hundreds of games still get released every week across all digital platforms and i'm pretty sure the uk's parliamentary budget doesn't allow for you know every day 200 games to be reviewed by ratings agencies so also seems a little unfeasible we'd probably have a china situation where you know the agency almost becomes like a choke point for releasing a game Now, we're moving more and more towards regulation. I think one of the major saving graces that it isn't regulated at this point is defining what is a loot box and what is pay to win and how both of those can be regulated in a way that won't impact other industries like, you know, physical magic to gathering booster packs when compared to digital loot boxes and maybe premium currency features or premium features in like software as a service company software compared to IEPs in a game. So it, it kind of gets weirder to define, like, you know, if Salesforce locks a feature that makes their software so much better behind a paywall, how is that different than locking content behind an IEP wall? You know, I don't know. You could, you could probably draw a lot of distinctions. So I think we're still at a point where 
a lot of these government, you know, commissions or regulatory bodies agree that something needs to be done. They agree that children shouldn't be purchasing loot boxes and basically being exposed to gambling. They agree that digital premium items shouldn't be traded outside of the game. Um, that will just lead to actual gambling. But, you know, defining this and defining it in a regulated way that won't impact other industries is frankly really hard. So we'll have to see. Uh, it seems like the UK is getting under a lot of pressure from their various like commissions and oversight committees. So something will probably happen. It'll probably go to a vote at some point. Uh, they have to draft up something. I don't know their whole process. Uh, we should dig up their version of Schoolhouse Rocks, <laughs> how a bill becomes a law or whatever. All right, next up. Tencent takes majority control of Supercell through taking majority interest of the consortium that owns Supercell. So this is a very weird story, but I got the history lesson for you. Um, basically, in June of 2016, a Luxembourg's consortium, which included Tencent, so this is just a massive group of people um, represented as a consortium, acquired 81.4% interest in Supercell at a valuation of $10.2 billion. So effectively, they bought Supercell. So a consortium acting as an individual unit bought controlling interest of Supercell. So whoever controls the consortium control Supercell. Well, at the time, Tencent has pretty much since then owned 50% of the consortium. And this week, Tencent spent an additional $40 million to gain 1.2% more stake, bringing it to 51.2%. So Tencent now has controlling entrance of the consortium. I assume voting shares go equally with ownership. So owning 51% of something, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And since that thing that they now own 51% of owns 81% of Supercell, Tencent can officially kind of say that they own Supercell. According to a filing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, interesting enough, Tencent didn't spend $40 million in cash. Instead, they opted to use convertible bonds to pay for that $40 million increase uh, consortium stake. And convertible bonds are notes that can be converted into Tencent stock, but are generally, you know, issued at a much higher yield than Tencent common stock, meaning they're just like better forms of stock that can be traded and then eventually executed and turned into the actual stock. Uh, I probably screwed that up. So someone can, someone in high finance can email me and tell me how dumb I am. Add Supercell to the list that includes Riot, Grinding Gears game, and Miniclip of games game companies that Tencent pretty much outright officially owns. And, uh, you know, they're really close on some other companies. Uh, famously, I still can't believe it, Tencent owns 40% of Epic Games. But let's be clear, Tencent basically owned the consortium of Supercell before. This is merely kind of $40 million technicality, so Tencent can actually say it controls the consortium. Honestly, I'm curious to see what, if anything, comes of this, as I have to assume the recent six-game announcement by Riot Games was very much mm, Tencent-driven, you could say, and that maybe we can see Supercell throw caution to the wind and change their famous grueling green light process and maybe release more than one game a year. I don't know, <laughs> but we'll have to see. Um, I guess it was done for a reason, and I don't think the reason is that, you know, there's no difference between 50% of 51% of something. You know, that extra 1% isn't, you know, balance sheet magnificent. So the fact that they want it, that extra 51% means that they want it to do something with controlling interest. So we'll have to see what that thing actually is. All right, next up, Mixer sounds 
Mixer signs an exclusive deal with Shroud. So Shroud is one of the top Twitch streamers. Mixer lands another exclusivity blow to Twitch as Shroud, a top 10 streamer and likely the number one Apex Legends streamer, departs Twitcher to join Ninja in the land of Mixer. Did I say Twitcher? Depart Twitch to join Ninja in the land of Mixer. Shroud has about 7 million followers at the time of the announcement compared to Ninja's over 10 million followers at the time of his departure. Um, great blow by Microsoft. I'm really wondering what Amazon's reaction to all of this is going to be. You know, Microsoft looks like it doesn't care about sinking massive amounts of money into acquiring Twitch talent. Amazon kind of needs to either pay up or somehow lock down some of these streamers or it might actually have a competitor on its hands. And I think at the time of this announcement, um, Ninja's like old account had 14 million followers, uh, old Twitch account. And his new Mixer account has 2.4 million subscribers. And I think the subscribers have to pay money. So it shows you, like, obviously it's not one-to-one, but Mixer's definitely getting, you know, subscribers and users because of these signings. So it's not like they're just lighting money on fire. All right, next up, pretty interesting story. So (laughs) Sony begins issuing refunds for botched WWE 2K20 launch. So 2K... 2K's Games' annualized professional wrestling entry has had quite possibly the worst launch in recent history. So major features were out like broken, glitches that make Assassin's Creed skinless characters and Assassin's Creed Unity look palatable, and missing items on, you know, triple-digit collector editions have all contributed to massive fan outrage at 2K Games. Um, there's a bit of a backstory to explain this one, so... For 20 years, the WWE 2K games were developed in Japan by a studio called Yuke. They created and maintained the engine behind the games as well as developed the games themselves. This year, Bay Area-based Visual Concepts had taken over as the main developer, with Yuke still kind of just supporting the engine in the background. This was done partially because Yuke's SVP of development expressed his dissatisfaction for lack of competition in the wrestling category and planned on developing a new IP to compete in-house with WWE 2K. Well, that all went south. So Visual Concepts shipped, you know, they had supported uh, WWE 2K series since, I think, 2014. This was their first big break. Uh, They kind of fell by wayside. It kind of reminds me of the debacle that went with uh, Sledgehammer, uh, Raven Studio, and Call of Duty this year. And... uh, Yeah, Sony will be providing fans full refunds on games, which is something I haven't seen a major platform holder do in probably over a decade. Even Assassin's Creed Unity, which had a terrible launch by all standards, resulted in only free DLC for people. Feel free to look up some videos online at the glitches. They're pretty... egregious i would say maybe uh my favorite one was a wrestler that was supposed to perform one of the finishing slams on another wrestler and said they just slowly walked up to the other character and then started to fuse into one character model like some kind of like awkward horror movie it was just it's just like like some of the glitches it's just like how did like they it's so bad and it, they're so common and there's such a breadth of different glitches it's not like there's one there's like a hundred different glitches that surely they knew at launch that there's no way this thing's going to be good that it's going to be a steaming pile of crap so i'm just amazed that this got out the door <laughs> i mean uh it's rough all right next up fortnite's big the end event pays off so fortnite 
not having a global championship to mark at the end of a season like League of Legends or other esports, decided to send off Chapter 1 by sending everything into a black hole. Concurrence for a single game category on Twitch reached 1.7 million, which is a new platform record. I think it's super smart to segment content into some kind of container, whether it be seasons or chapters or whatever abstract concept you want to assign to it. For non-esports games as a service, capstoning a chapter with a massive two-day event kind of garners like free press, gives players a forced break, and it's a pretty good idea to like segment the end of a, you know, a container of content releases. So I'd really like to see more non-esports games pull this off. And again, you know, League of Legends and other esports events, they have like championships to capstone off these things. But, you know, with a game like Fortnite, the esports is still, to me, seems undefined. So... I don't know. I thought it was a cool little publicity stunt, and I think it paid off, and I think uh, more people should take note. All right, last bit of news before we jump into business news. Fallout 76 introduces a new subscription. So adding subscriptions to games and services at new, Tencent said Supercell was seeing great success offloading IEPs as subscriptions, and Fallout's subscription provides kind of like the normal premium currency, unique exclusive cosmetics, travel aids, blah, 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 but also one interesting item, private servers that you control who has access to. And I don't know, I just thought I'd call this out on here because it's pretty interesting. The first thing you can think of is if you're a big Fallout 76 streamer, you now have a private service for maybe once a week, you jump on board with people who subscribe and pay to your stream and can kind of like free play with you for a week in Fallout 76 and like raid and stuff pretty interesting you know i i'm surprised world of warcraft hasn't thought of this like private shards for people who do like a even higher tier subscription higher tier subscription you know than their regular game subscription so i'm serious i'm curious to see other games add interesting twists for subscribers that kind of like unlock new tools for subscribers you know don't give them like unique weapons that really make the game unfun for anyone who doesn't subscribe but this is something that doesn't affect anyone but gives a subscriber a new tool to have fun in the game so again like the previous comment on fall on uh fortnite i'd like to see more companies take a take a risk like that all right running through business news bethesda kawaii's alpha dog so the elder scrolls and fallout developer now adds nova scotia based alpha dog to its army of developers Alphadog is a mobile studio best known for the Ninja Goff remake and also Monstrosity Rampage, which is like a city builder destructor game. I don't know. I didn't I didn't even watch the trailer for it, I'll be honest. <laughs> no word on the acquisition amount as of now. Although Bethesda has released mobile games before, probably most famously Fallout Shelter, they're within their AAA development studios like Bethesda Game Studios. It doesn't seem like from what I looked up they actually have any kind of dedicated mobile studios, so now they do. And this gives a this is a smart move. It gives Bethesda a competent mobile developer to recreate kind of the Fallout shelter magic with future releases like Elder Scrolls 6, whatever new Fallout game is being worked on, or any new IP like Starfield. So that magic being before the release of the game, you release the free-to-play mobile version of the game. That generates revenue, pays for itself, but it also kind of like generates hype and interest as long as it's a well-designed game for the upcoming AAA release. So I thought that was really great with uh, Fallout, and I wouldn't be surprised if they try it more in the future. All right, a little bit of sad moves. Black Backflip Studios is shutting down. So 
Boulder, Colorado-based Backflip Studios is set to shut down by parent company Hasbro, as Hasbro, you know, terribly missed quarterly earnings, which resulted in a massive 16% stock drop. GameIndustry.biz is reporting 70 people were laid off this week, with the remaining crew staying by to decide what to do with Dragon Bell, which is likely still their biggest revenue generator. The news was a surprise to some employees as Backflip was set to soft launch a brand new game very soon, so, you know, why not at least see what that game would have performed? I guess Hasbro <laughs> thought otherwise. Boulder and the surrounding Denver area don't really have the largest video game industry presence, but history shows some of the best studios are founded by employees after a large studio closure. I think that happened in Austin many years ago. Start your own studio. Go for it, Backflip Studio uh, Exiles. Do something. Now's the time. Now's the time to take risks. I cover lots of, and I'm about to cover... A few more fundraising news. Lots of companies are out there willing to provide equity or money or whatever it is you need. Come up with a pitch. Go hit them up. All right. Speaking of that, a bit of fundraising news. I'll run through these. There's three of them. Crytek Veterans launched Game Group Capital, a capital investment fund that plans to make 20 early stage investments a year. That's quite a lot. Game Group Capital is targeting the CIS region, which includes UK, Ukraine, Russia, and other former USSR countries. The fund currently stands at $6 million and plans to invest an average of $300,000 per investment. And remember, these are early stage investments. So that $300,000 is really like getting you off the ground and helping you pay your first employees and buying computers. So seems like a good idea to me. All right. NiceCactus.gg raises $5.5 million in Series A for their esports management company. They also announce a $1 million fund for supporting amateur and semi-professional esports player. I'm honestly still awaiting the accounting behind an esports management company that doesn't outright own a major league team, such as a League of Legends, NALCS team, or an Overwatch League team. What is it you do? Like an esports management company for like, I don't know, fighting game players. Like, how do you make that money back? What do you do? Like, blows my mind. Blows my mind still. All right, and finally, Madbox raises an astonishing $16.5 million in Series A. It was led by Alvin, and Madbox is a Paris-based startup that is looking to expand beyond and open a new studio in Barcelona. Did I say that right? (laughs) Madbox is a mobile developer, mostly known for, I don't know, I looked at their games I would honestly say really low quality humor games. I don't know. They they just look bad. And I'm really shocked. I'm shocked that their Series A was 16.5 million. They must have some metrics that I can't see. I don't know. And I'll close off with, uh, I guess, a bit of good news. Doug Scott, former Zynga CMO, joins Twitch as their CMO. So Doug Scott spent three years as Zynga CMO and previously was a VP at EA and DNA. I actually met Doug Scott multiple times at Zynga, uh, one time in person. Um, I can say he is the embodiment of a CMO. And my favorite story is I remember at a PM offsite, Doug sat at my table and then got, got up and gave like a speech to all the PMs at Zynga about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I think at the time I wasn't absorbing any information that he was actually contextually saying. But the second he quit talking, I just felt so inspired and I bought into whatever it is he was selling us that I thought, wow, like 
this is a leader with their presence. And so that's why I say Doug Scott is kind of the embodiment of a CMO. And uh, if you ever hear him talk, uh, he's, he's like a master. He's a, he's a master at talking and at captivating audiences. And I guess that's what you need in a good CMO. All right, I'm Eric McConnell. That's it for this week in games. Come back next week. Hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Leave me a review um, and send me some email if you think, you know, if you want to explain esports management to me. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Take care.